Thank you for clicking on this episode of The Agios Dose. I hope that the title, I hope it provoked you. I hope it, you know, piqued your interest and told you that this is an episode to listen to. If you're a regular listener, uh, please excuse the wait it has been. Between episodes, we have been busy with all sorts of school stuff and family things. However, we are back and we are excited to give you a few more episodes before we take a longer break to have our first baby. And hey, that's a, that's a good segue. What a world that Sarah and I will be bringing our first child into. One day I'll be able to tell him or her that when they were born, there was a deadly pandemic all over the world, and everyone had to stay within their homes or else they would die. Unless you were in the streets rioting, of course, because then you were, you were somehow immune to the disease then. And I can't wait to tell this kid that those who are rioting in the streets, well, some of them called themselves Antifa, meaning anti-fascist. And it, but in reality, they were a terrorist organization that used violence as a means of gaining power. That conversation, that's going to be great. Joking aside, though, it's these growing tensions in our culture that is what I wanted to talk about today, specifically the recent wave of, you know, statue hunting and the anti-Catholic hymns of Mr. Sean King. I'm sure you've heard all about this. At this point, you're likely all familiar with the awful murder of George Floyd and the ascendancy of the movement Black Lives Matter. What you may not be familiar with is that Black Lives Matter is not just an organization for the emancipation of current-day racism. Black Lives Matter is an organization that has an anti-family and anti-pro-life agenda. It has been commented many times in Catholic social media that BLM is not what it purports to be. Black Lives Matter manifestly advocates for abortion and the dissolving of the nuclear family. I won't go too much into that here, but I'll provide links in the show notes with all that information. But here's the dynamic I want to highlight. Say I begin a group called Save the Puppies, and predictably, we want to stop the murder of innocent, cute, happy puppies. Noble cause. However, one of the tenets of Save the Puppies is the abolition of private property. Now, you would likely say, yeah, I don't think Save the Puppies is a good cause because I like owning a house. And then I say back, oh, you must hate puppies, puppy hater. Excuse, please, the simplicity of it all, but you get the point. As Catholics, we cannot support any organization which promotes the undermining of our social fabric, no matter what they're called. At the same time, I think it's maybe a little difficult for most of us here in the Canadian prairies to navigate and get a firm read on what's taking on socially in other places in the world. We are perhaps on the outskirts, the rural roads of the waves of ideology in more connected cities. We see statues of historical figures being torn down in the name of anti-racism and anti-colonialism, and we might have some sympathy for those causes. As Canadians, we may be somewhat detached from figures like George Washington and Christopher Columbus. However, as Catholics, when we begin to see demonstrations in front of statues like King St. Louis of France and St. Sarah, we begin to get a mixed message. What exactly is going on here? That is why today I have employed some help. 
I spoke with a young man named Dominic Creston. Dominic is a local of Ventura, California. Dominic is a Catholic, and he has been present at the demonstrations at his local statue of Unipracera. His first-hand account of the events which have taken place in his hometown are sobering, to say the least. Here is my conversation with Dominic. So, as I was saying, I am interviewing Dominic Preston. Now, Dominic, you were recently at the Public Rosary in California, correct? Correct. Yes, I was. All right. And when yes, was that? So, I think the first one was June 20th. And it wasn't exactly a planned rosary. Um, there are two incidents that happened. There was a June 20th incident, and then there was a July 4th incident. And there's this, yeah, there's this statue, this uh, um, St. Pina Procera statue outside of Ventura City Hall. And Absolutely. it's a statue that's been there for a long time. And I just saw, my, I was doing something and my brother-in-law texted me, I think it was my brother-in-law, one of my relatives. And like, hey, you know, they're trying to take down the Sarah statue that's uh, in front of City Hall. And this is a statue everybody knows. It's on, you know, every postcard, every advertisement, very famous statue, very famous landmark. And... I was like, what? what? Somebody's trying to take it down? Sorry, go ahead. Oh, which city is that specifically? It's Ventura, Ventura, <laughs> California. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's about, for those who don't know it, it's about an hour, hour and a half north of Los Angeles. Gotcha. It's right in the coast. It's, uh, if you know Santa Barbara, it's like 40 minutes south of Santa Barbara. So it's in between Los Angeles and Santa Barbara. It's kind of a purple county. You know, it's got a fair share of Democrats and Republicans. Okay. Um, good. Kind of quiet town, kind of a peaceful, quiet town by and large. And so I'm like, what? Somebody's trying to take the statue down in Ventura. Like, you know, nothing happens here. And with all the stuff that's been going on, all this, all the COVID stuff. I mean, yeah, there's, you know, restrictions in Ventura, but it's not like Los Angeles where if you don't have a mask in Los Angeles, somebody's screaming you. Whether you, whatever you think about it, like, there's just a different attitude in LA. Like, Ventura's kind of out of that. So to hear about somebody wanting to take the statue down, it's kind of like, whoa, this is coming to our quiet little, you know, piece of right. paradise, you know. Okay, so you get this call from your relative saying, hey, there's going to be a public rosary at the Unipracera statue. Um, what what are your expectations then? You, you were saying you have this quiet town. It wasn't even a rosary yet at that point. It, 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 at that point, it wasn't a rosary yet. He was just saying, hey, somebody's trying to take the statue down. And then I heard there was some, like, uh, BLM Antifa event on June 20th, and I saw that somebody started a counter signature. Somebody started signatures to take it down on change.org. And then I saw somebody made a change.org petition to keep it up. And I saw the name at the bottom was my friend, Patrick Gray. And I thought, well, he's hanging out with And I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, I don't know. There's this the activist, and there's this thing going on June 20th. So June 20th was Saturday, and my Uncle Kenny was being buried uh, that day. So I went to the funeral went to the cemetery and I knew it was going to be a long reception or, or get together afterwards and I just I just had to go to the statue nothing was like planned but I said I gotta go to the statue I know Pat's gonna be out there I didn't know anything else wow. so I show up at the statue and there's like 20 people there already surrounding the statue defending it and there's this huge crowd of like mix of Chumash let's say huge crowd is like 100 150 and it probably ended up being about 40 of us around the statue and some of them were Chumash protesters, but most of them are like BLM, Antifa. Okay. And they've got their loudspeakers and they're screaming and they're surrounding everybody. And so we just started saying the road. Like, we're like, wow, these people okay. are screaming in our faces. <laughs> and we organically, somebody just started. It wasn't like organized or planned. And we all just started saying it. And uh, that, that, was, that was the first road. Oh, okay. 
Interesting. So, and, and were you present at both? Yeah. So then my brother-in-law started Rosary Novena and people went out uh, to, to, uh, to uh, St. Sarah and people went out there for, I think it was nine, a nine day, nine day Novena. And we said the rosary every day there at five. And I, would, I didn't make all those, but I made what I could, and I made the last one. And then on July 4th, we heard there was a big uh, BLM uh, protest happening. Okay. So this time, way more people had heard about this, and we got organized, and there was like 100 of us defending the statue. And oh. we went there, and we said a rosary. And while we're saying this rosary, they, you know, they come storming up the street, and it's kind of like, we knew they were coming and we'd been waiting there for a while and, you know, people kind of talking, going around, but, you know, and then all of a sudden we, you hear these drums in the distance. Okay. And I don't want to overdo this because, you know, I kind of, you kind of feel like you're going to get shot or something like that. It's kind of like you can feel when it's going to be a hand fight or a gunfight kind of a thing. You don't know exactly what's going to happen. And there were way more of them this time. It was like 250, 300. And they're at the end of the street and it's all foggy where they are, like, you know, ocean marine layer. And we're kind of like on a hill where the Sarah statue is and it's at the bottom. And they come like storming, running up the streets. They've got their big drums, you know, and they're screaming and yelling. And it is like they make an impressive show. And these loudspeakers are going off and they just swarmed all around us. And then the sun starts breaking out where we are. And we all just started saying the rosary. And then they get, you know, right up in your face. And the weirdest thing, you know, they're saying F Father Sarah and F America and, uh, you know, trying to intimidate and terrorize. That's their tactics. Mm-hmm. And while we're saying this rosary, these four girls, like, kind of get between some of the people around the statue and, like, get right into us, like, right into our crowd. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they're probably, like, two, three feet from us. And they start dangling these little vials of liquid. And I know they were red. I'm not saying they're blood. I just know they're red. One of my friends like, those are blood. I'm like, how do you know? And he's like, well, it's very viscous. And, you know, and I'm like, okay, whatever it was, they're these little vials of blood. Or, sorry, liquid. Sorry, go ahead. Are, are they meant to look like blood, though? Or to simulate? I, I don't know. Oh. I, I don't know. I just know that these little vials on chains, and they're, they're right. going like this. They're swinging them back and forth. And they started chanting some kind of a hex. And... So we're literally praying the rosary and they are chanting a hex. And I'm no expert in Wiccan, but it was some form of a curse. And, you know, their eyes are like kind of vibrating, shaking while they're dangling these vials like right next to our faces. So that was very weird. It made it, it made the battle lines very clear. Interesting. So in that experience, like, I don't even know what to ask because it makes it a lot more than just politics when you're praying a rosary in front of a statue and all of a sudden there are these people who, you know, for, for lack of a better word, are witches, yes. um, you know, shaking what looks like red liquid in front of you and saying these weird spells. And so is that anything that you had noticed that was a part of this movement prior to then? Not exactly. I mean, I know Wick is growing. I know it's bigger than it has been in a long time. You know, you read exorcist books and stuff. Like I like Malachi Martin. I know he's a controversial figure, but you know, he, he writes about Wick a bit. But no, not, not explicitly. I didn't. Um, the first thing at, at the uh, June twentieth, um, the Chumash did some weird, weird dance that seemed. They did two. One seemed peaceful. One seemed aggressive at the end. And I was like, what's this? Like, you know, is this, is this witchcrafty? Don't know. But no, not, not explicitly I didn't. And part of this is spiritual and part of it is political. But 
Yeah. yeah, when you're up there, I mean, most of the people around that statue are Catholic. There's a Catholic community. We come to Thomas Aquinas College and St. Augustine Academy. It's a high school. That's mm-hmm. a good high school there, a good Catholic high school. Mm-hmm. And they're not directly involved with the statue, but there's a community that comes from that. And so, so yeah, the people around there were Catholics, and we care about the statue for politics and religion. But no, I, I, to answer your question directly, no, I wasn't really thinking about yeah. and stuff until yeah, that I, moment I happened. That I was kind of surprised. Sorry, I don't. I don't think that anyone here, like where I, where I am, and, and you know, the the prairies of Canada, really, really get that impression either that when uh, when all this that you think is just purely socio political, uh, and 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 for for people up here, you might have sympathy for for uh, people in this movement, but really when it when they start aiming their view at Catholicism and statuary and you know images of jesus and images of saint michael and statues of unipersera and trying to tear them down i don't think a lot of the people here have room in their imagination that this is also a spiritual battle yes they, they yes, very much so. on the news that's not that's not information that's really accessible to them and so for us it's rather a surprise and i just want to i want to ask you since then um, what has been your experience kind of coming from this? Like what, what was your takeaway from that, from that moment? Well, one is that we need to get organized and one that it, it is a spiritual battle. And since that day, since July 4th, I mean, we just saw this, I think it's St. Peter's, St. Peter's church and near Boston, you know, had a, a statue of Mary was set alight. Right. Uh, the San Gabriel mission near where I live, where I used to go as a kid, it's this beautiful mission. Uh, one of Father Sarah's missions. He's 241 years old, or two, maybe 249 years old. They were getting ready for their 250th anniversary doing renovation. That just caught on fire. It just most of it burned. And, and it's kind of, I can't even really comprehend it yet because it's there such a gorgeous church. That that's so much history. What's that? Oh, there aren't many buildings that are that old on the West Coast. Right, exactly. It, it's so like, old as California history, some of it. Yeah. For, but yes. And so... Uh, it's a tragedy when that burns, but somebody, you know, the place was closed because of COVID. There was nobody in there. They haven't said what happened yet, but I think it's likely that it was probably arson. Right. Uh, so yeah, we're under attack. And the thing is they're going to come for symbols first. They're going to come for the statues of Sarah. They're going to come for the missions. Then they're going to come for museums and they're going to come for the churches themselves. Oh, absolutely. And then they're going to come for us. So well, thing, absolutely. And, I think it's a spiritual battle. And it's all with under the guise of, they're fighting apparent, allegedly white supremacy. Right. Not, yeah. So it's like, was that, was, do you think white supremacy was, was visible at your, at your public rosary and defensive? No, no. Yeah. No. One irony. Well, a lot of them are, a lot of the people defending the statue are Hispanic because there's a lot of Hispanics in California and they have a strong connection to Sarah and the missions Absolutely. and Catholicism. Many of them do. And, so, so, so no, for, for one, yeah, that kind of takes that out. And also, um, we're just a community that has very, very few black people in Ventura. So mm-hmm. there, I think there was like one black guy standing with us defending the statue. And I think there was one black girl with them yelling at us. And like, besides that, it was Hispanic and white people oh, wow. on both sides. So you're hanging out with this black guy and people are screaming about white yes. people with you. And it's just, uh, yes. I- yes. Goodness, it's crazy. And he was awesome. He was up in the front lines with us, you know, taking abuse and arms arms folded, you know, let's not let anybody through up to the statue. Yeah. 
And, and it's, it's funny because even that, that kind of obvious display that there's, there's not really this kind of race division within, within the church and within the faith, it, it's lost on a lot of these people because they'll, they have script for this, is they automatically call anyone of color a white supremacist as well. Um, when, yeah. when they get, and so it's like, it, it can be pretty frustrating. And I think it's because it's beyond, it's beyond um, reason and rational thought and argument, right? It's all emotions, it's all feelings. And so if something doesn't go with the very emotional narrative, then get rid of it. Then I don't need to think about that, you know? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It's not moored, it's not anchored to logic. You're right, you just said it perfectly. There's no reason or logic to it. That's probably they want to get rid of this statue is it's, uh, they want to erase, they want to erase history or any ties to the past. So the party is always right. Yeah, it's not about really about race. It's not about, it's about their party and what they believe in at the moment. And that might change. And so we don't want anything. That's like uh, set in stone in front of us. Um, you know, George, I mean, I don't know if you've read George Orwell, 1984 and Animal Farm. Both yeah. those books are so awesome. But, you know, you yeah. read some quotes in there about, about how they want to destroy history. And it's like, that is exactly what's happening. Absolutely. Yeah, that's crazy. All right, cool. And so you, do you have... Do you have hope for your Catholic community in the future and your, your public monuments? I'll tell you what's really cool is, you know, when I walked up to the July 4th thing, I knew more people were going to be there, but I didn't know how many. And when I walked up to that statue, I just got this welling up in my heart. Like I almost teared up because it's so cool to see people come out and defend it. And people really believe in like the battles in our backyard. And you read about this stuff all the time. It's happening there. This came to Ventura and this is where it happened. And so, you know, Sometimes I'm kind of black-filled on California, and I'm like, it's time to move to Idaho. It's time to get out. This place is chose. But there are a lot of people here. There are 40 million people live in California, and there are a lot of people that do not believe in the you know, official status quo here. And, and this is happening. It's happening in our backyard, and we're here. So, so I have hope that people are waking up more to it. I, uh, we have kind of this grassroots coalition that's forming. We're trying to start a nonprofit. We're talking to a lawyer. You know, we're having meetings. We have this huge group threat now to defend the statue. Um, we're pursuing, we're going to pursue legal action if we can. Uh, you know, everybody's bringing their different tal- talents to the table and volunteering hours and work. So that does give me hope. I, they're going to decide whether they take the statue down on Wednesday or not. And uh, this Wednesday looks like they're this this coming Wednesday, yeah, day after tomorrow. And uh, looks like the city council has the fix in, and they're going to vote to move it. Now, if they do that, we're going to try to file a temporary restraining order and then then sue them. And judge would have to approve the temporary restraining order. And there's, while we're trying to get the restraining order, will they move the statue during that period? And if they do that, can we, like, handcuff ourselves to the statue? Like, what can we actually do? Like, literally, I mean, I'm thinking about doing that because wow. if that gives us enough time to get the restraining order, you know, then Ooh. that's what it takes. Wow. Wow. You know what? We are definitely going to be praying for you. We're going to be asking our listeners, you guys, you need to you need to pray for these people in California who are dealing with these these anarchists, these these uh, these kind of the socialists, uh, and and the witches. You know, honestly, the paganism yeah. is is on the rise, and so you guys definitely need all the support you can. You need all the grace you can, and, and uh, yeah, we want to do whatever we can to, to help you guys out. And first of all, I think that is through prayer. 
I agree with that, and I really appreciate that. I just want to say one other thing, and sure. that is that overall, I think the people of Ventura would be for having that statue stand. But this is all being done during the COVID uh, chaos that's going on. It's being rushed. Uh, the city halls kind of kind of do it under the table, mm-hmm. and the fact that we've the group has made a stand in opposition to them doing that. More and more people are learning about it. But I don't want to give the impression like. Uh, you know, all of Ventura is for tearing the statue down or, or something. There's yeah. a lot, I think most people are not. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Well, thank you very much a for, time, yeah. um, for, for chatting with me. And uh, I, I hope all the best and uh, we'll be praying for you for sure. Well, I appreciate it. I'm honored to be here. I appreciate you having me. And uh, it's, it's good to get the word out. And, you know, even though you're over, it's, how do you pronounce this? It's Saskatchewan. area you're in? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, uh, the, well, uh, the the adage is that Saskatchewan is hard to spell but easy to draw. It's just a rectangle. <laughs> I yeah. like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, even though we we are far away from each other, you know, we still are connected, mystical body of Christ, and yeah, you know, absolutely. Canada's got its issues, as we know, we've got our issues here, and it's a battle that we are connected in. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. In my own ruminating, ruminating, that sounds rather effective, in my own thoughts about the events of the last few months, I have been constantly reminded of a book I sort of read. It was called Way to Happiness by Venerable Fulton Sheen. I say I sort of read this book because I reached a specific chapter, read it, and put the book down never to pick it back up. The chapter was titled The Need for Revolution. I left the book down because, to me, I reached the culminating point. I said, yep, that's it. If I can live out what he said in those few pages, I will have found what it means to be happy. I'm going to read you this very short chapter today because I think it could quite possibly be the best, most articulate diagnosis of what's happening today in our culture. Venerable Sheen writes, Nietzsche, the 19th century philosopher, tried to express the temper of his age in the statement, God is dead, by which he meant that the men in his period were losing their faith. He also cast a prophetic eye towards the future and foretold that the 20th century would be one of wars and revolutions. His two statements were associated with a deeper logic than the inventor of the Superman philosophy knew. Men who have ceased to love God will not love their neighbors for very long, and they will find a particular difficulty in trying to love that special neighbor, their enemy. This is, indeed, a century of revolutions. But it need not go down in history as a period when revolutions were entirely economic and political. There is always the possibility open to us of making ours the time of glorious revolutions, of revolutions against ourselves. A revolution is involved whenever any soul dethrones the ego which has mastered him and submits, instead, to the principle of love. A revolution occurs whenever humility replaces pride in us, and we abandon the foolish striving for success and notoriety. This type of homemade revolution has its power in the action of our Lord himself. The night before he died for the redemption of the world, he knelt before his followers as if he were the least of them all. Earlier in his teaching, he had often told them not to seek the first seats at the table, 
not to desire to be known among men. When the apostles disputed among themselves as to which of them was the greatest, he called for a revolution in their values. He had told them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who rule over them win the name of benefactors. With you, it is not to be so. No difference is to be made among you between the greatest and the youngest of all, between him who commands and him who serves. Tell me, which is greater, the man who sits at table or the man who serves him? Surely the man who sits at table, yet I am here among you as a servant. Our Lord had instituted the revolution of humility in words before. Now he put it into practice after the Last Supper, when, quote, he laid his garments aside, took a towel, and put it about him, and then poured the water into the basin and began to wash the feet of his disciples, wiping them with the towel that girded him. Slaves were assigned in those days to such menial tasks as this. It was a topsy-turvy event on a gigantic scale to have the master of masters, the king of kings, kneel down at twenty-four calloused, sweaty feet and make them clean, as his absolution still makes clean our calloused hearts and our soiled souls. All human values were forever reversed in this startling revolution Christ declared in the words, The man who exalts himself will be humbled, and the man who humbles himself will be exalted. At the moment these words were uttered, Caesar lost his throne. The principle of exploitation was undone, and arrogance and pride were shown the door. From now on, all Christians had been warned against judging as the world judges, against seeking for themselves the rewards the world can give. As water dripped from his hands that night, the old systems of morality were rendered obsolete, and the noblest concepts of the ancients became inadequate for man. From now on, the worst of all possible disorders of the soul were known. They were the failure to serve others, the accounting of oneself as being worthy of special privilege. A new law had been born. It revealed the equality of all men before God and went on to declare the beauty of humility. He who had humbled himself by becoming a man, now multiplied the gifts and underscored the lesson when he reduced his infinity to the service of his servants. Revolution within the soul is the Christian adventure. It requires no hatred, demands no personal rights, claims no exalted titles, is not turn of the enemy, and tells no lies. In such a revolution, it is love which bores from within and acts as a fifth column loyal to God within our tangled and disordered selves. Such a revolution destroys pride and selfishness, the envy and jealousy of longing to be first, which makes us intolerant of others' rights. The sword it carries is not turned against our neighbor, but against our absurd overvaluation of the self. In other revolutions, it is easy to fight, for it is against the quote-unquote evil enemy that we are at war with. But the Christian revolution is difficult, for the enemy we must assault is a part of us. 
Yet this is the only revolution that ever issues in true peace. Other rebellions are never ended, for they stop short of their goal. They leave hatred still simmering in the soul of man. Contemporary thinking is directed towards a revolution in the external world of nations and classes, races and parties and cliques. But our Divine Lord did not take as his first task the social revolution. He first remade individual man through the resurrection, and then, later, by sending his spirit into man, he regenerated the old world society. St. Augustine said, They that perturb the peace they live in do it not for hate of it, but to show their power in their alteration of it. Wars come when men project their inner conflicts onto the outside world. Peace will come when many men have waged their inner revolution in which their pride is broken and their selfish ambition is destroyed. The peace that follows on such spiritual warfare can act as a happy contagion from soul to soul, bringing peace on earth to all men of goodwill. End quote. It's a lot to take in. It's a lot to digest. You might want to pause here before you go into more commentary on the words of Bishop Sheen because it's like putting your mouth through a fire hose. At any rate, beginning again. These words from Venerable Sheen, they zoom in on the very center of today's dysfunction. They are not disregarding any potential political inequality that we face today because he confronts them at their most fundamental level. Not only that, I think his words expose us all as materialists. Not only are people trying to create change through violent means, but through worldly means. True, there is a revolution that needs to be fought. However, it's in your heart. There really is an evil tyrant who needs to be dethroned. It's you. And there is a sure way to get rid of the bastard by loving God and your neighbor more than yourself. Again, I'm not saying it's impossible that there is any truth to the claims of inequality or disenfranchisement. What I'm saying is that any mere material solutions are so dramatically inadequate and utterly fail to confront the issue with any brand of competence. So much so that I would say anyone who rests solely on these solutions, especially if they're a Christian, is absolutely sinning against charity, for they withhold something that is abundantly more valuable. No one is taking to the streets out of, out of the wholeness that they feel inside of themselves. No one is trying to take down church monuments out of their overwhelming sense of Shangri-La. Nobody destroys their own neighborhood when they love their neighbor. They are making the outside look like their inside. People without the divine as their ultimate end in life suffer for it. What kind of Christian love can you say you have for anybody, especially for these violent social reformers, if Fulton Sheen's revolution of humility is not your very own? There's a movie, Nicholas and Alexandra, about the Tsar and his wife. In one scene, the Tsarina is fiddling around with her icons, rearranging them on different parts of the table. She is distressed because her newborn is dying. In her grief, she believes that if she got the icons in the right arrangement, then perhaps God would listen to her prayers. We are all like Alexandra, 
believing that we'll find some sort of answer in our, in our case, social utopia. If only we organize ourselves accordingly. And what are the words that we keep hearing? Today's icons we're fiddling with. Patriarchy, racism, colonialism, gay rights, transgenderism, conservatism, liberalism. No one comes close to saying the words humility and service of neighbor. I'm reminded of a story when the devil went to Padre Pio for confession. Satan was trying to make the saintly monk feel proud about how well he ministered. However, during the confession, St. Pio caught on and asked the devilish penitent to, at that moment, give praise to our Lord and his mother. The devil wouldn't do it. He was unable to do it. But the good caption continued to goad him to give worship to Jesus Christ and his mother Mary. Utterly frustrated, he left the confessional beaten by the saint. Is it any surprise to any of us, truly, that a movement that seeks to topple the monuments of God comes complete with its own witches? C.S. Lewis used to say that there is no neutral ground, meaning that throughout the entire world there is either goodness or evil, nothing in between. There are two ways, and the difference between them is great. Though today there are many agendas at play, there is only one story to the whole world. And that story is that, in order to save us from pride and arrogance, the force that set all things into motion saw it fit to intervene out of his love for us. Though we conjured up a surplus of evil, he accepted its full and unyielding weight. He gave us freedom and the means to live it out. His is the only revolution. In closing, let's pray for our friend Dominic and those with him in Ventura. As he was mentioning, if the city hall decides against the statue on Wednesday, today's Tuesday, I'll be releasing this on Thursday, he'll have to make some difficult decisions over what to do about it. So yes, let's pray for that. And let's also pray today that in a time of prideful tyranny, we can all rediscover that revolution of humility inside all of us. Thank you very much for listening. This has been your dose of Agios. Venerable Fulton Sheen, pray for us.